Volume Two, Chapter Eleven of A Simple Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pam Moscato. A Simple Story by Elizabeth Inchbald. Volume Two, Chapter Eleven. In vain for three long days did Miss Milner wait impatiently for this submission. Not a sign, not a symptom appeared, nay, Lord Elmwood had, since the evening of Lord Frederick's visit, which at the time it happened seemed to affect him so exceedingly, become just the same man he was before the circumstance occurred, except, indeed, that he was less thoughtful, and now and then cheerful, but without any appearance that his cheerfulness was affected. Miss Milner was vexed. She was alarmed, but was ashamed to confess those humiliating sensations, even to Miss Woodley. She supported, therefore, when in company, the vivacity she had so long assumed, but gave way, when alone, to a still greater degree of melancholy than usual. She no longer applauded her scheme of bringing Lord Frederick to the house, and trembled, lest on some pretense he should dare to call again. But as these feelings, which her pride would not suffer her to disclose, even to her friend, who would have condoled with her, their effects were doubly poignant. Sitting in her dressing-room one forenoon with Miss Woodley, and burthened with a load of grief that she blushed to acknowledge, while her companion was charged with apprehensions that she too was loath to disclose, one of Lord Elmwood's valets tapped gently at the door, and delivered a letter to Miss Milner. By the person who brought it, as well as by the address, she knew it came from Lord Elmwood, and laid it down upon her toilet, as if she was fearful to unfold it. "'What is that?' said Miss Woodley. "'A letter from Lord Elmwood,' replied Miss Milner. "'Good heaven!' exclaimed Miss Woodley. "'Nay,' returned she, "'it is, I have no doubt, a letter to beg my pardon. But her reluctance to open it plainly evinced she did not think so. "'Do not read it yet,' said Miss Woodley. "'I do not intend it,' replied she, trembling extremely. "'Will you dine first? said Miss Woodley. "'No. For not knowing its contents, I shall not know how to conduct myself towards him.' Here a silence followed. Miss Milner took up the letter, looked earnestly at the handwriting on the outside, at the seal, inspected into its folds, and seemed to wish by some equivocal method to guess at the contents without having the courage to come at the certain knowledge of them. Curiosity at length got the better of her fears. She opened the letter, and scarce able to hold it while she read. She read the following words. Madam, while I consider you only as my ward, my friendship for you was unbounded. When I looked upon you as a woman formed to grace a fashionable circle, my admiration equaled my friendship, and when fate permitted me to behold you in the tender light of my betrothed wife, my soaring love left those humbler passions at a distance. That you have still my friendship, my admiration, and even my love, I will not attempt to deceive either myself or you by disavowing. But still, with a firm assurance, I declare that prudence outweighs them all, and I have not, from henceforward, a wish to be regarded by you in any other respect than as one who wishes you well, that you ever beheld me in the endearing quality of a destined and an affectionate husband, as I would have proved, was a deception upon my hopes. They acknowledge the mistake, and are humbled. But I entreat you to spare their farther trial, and for a single week 
do not insult me with the open preference of another. In the short space of that period, I shall have taken my leave of you, forever. I shall visit Italy and some other parts of the continent, from whence I propose passing to the West Indies in order to inspect my possessions there. Nor shall I return to England till after a few years' absence, in which time I hope to become once more reconciled to the change of state I am enjoined, a change I now most fervently wish could be entirely dispensed with. The occasion of my remaining here a week longer is to settle some necessary affairs, among which the principle is that of delivering to a friend, a man of worth and of tenderness, all those writings which have invested me with the power of my guardianship. He will, the day after my departure, without one upbraiding word, resign them to you in my name. And even your most respected father, could he behold the resignation, would concur in its propriety. And now, my dear Miss Milner, let not affected resentment, contempt, or levity oppose that serenity which for the week to come I wish to enjoy. By complying with this request, give me to believe that since you have been under my care, you think I have, at least, faithfully discharged some part of my duty, and wherever I have been inadequate to your wishes, attribute my demerits to some infirmity of mind, rather than to a negligence of your happiness. Yet, be the cause what it will, since these faults have existed, I do not attempt to disavow or extenuate them, and I beg your pardon. However, time and a succession of objects may eradicate more tender sentiments, I am sure never to lose the liveliest anxiety for your welfare, and with all that solicitude, which cannot be described, I entreat for your own sake, for mine, when we shall be far asunder, and for the sake of your dead father's memory, that upon every important occasion you will call your serious judgment to direct you. I am, madam, your sincerest friend, Elmwood. After she had read every syllable of this letter, it dropped from her hands, but she uttered not a word. There was, however, a paleness in her face, a deadness in her eye, and a kind of palsy over her frame, which Miss Woodley, who had seen her in every stage of her uneasiness, never had seen before. I do not want to read the letter, said Miss Woodley. Your looks tell me its contents. They will then discover to Lord Elmwood, replied she, what I feel, but heaven forbid, that would sink me even lower than I am. Scarce able to move, she rose, and looked in her glass as if to arrange her features, and impose upon him, alas, it was of no avail. A serenity of mind could alone effect what she desired. You must endeavor, said Miss Woodley, to feel the disposition you wish to make appear. I will, replied she. I will feel a proper pride and a proper scorn of this treatment. And so desirous was she to attain the appearance of these sentiments, that she made the strongest efforts to calm her thoughts in order to acquire it. I have but a few days to remain with him, she said to herself, and we part forever. During those few days it is not only my duty to obey his commands, or rather comply with his request, but it is also my wish to leave upon his mind an impression which may not add to the ill opinion he has formed of me, but perhaps serve to diminish it. If in every other instance my conduct has been blamable, he shall, at least in this, acknowledge its merit. The fate I have drawn upon myself, he shall find I can be resigned to, 
and he shall be convinced that the woman of whose weakness he has had so many fatal proofs is yet in possession of some fortitude fortitude to bid him farewell without discovering one affected or one real pang though her death should be the immediate consequence thus she resolved and thus she acted the severest judge could not have arraigned her conduct from the day she received lord elma's letter to the day of his departure she had indeed involuntary weaknesses but none with which she did not struggle and in general her struggles were victorious the first time she saw him after the receipt of his letter was on the evening of the same day she had a little concert of amateurs of music and was herself singing and playing when he entered the room the connoisseurs immediately perceived she made a false cadence but lord elmwood was no connoisseur in the art and he did not observe it they occasionally spoke to each other through the evening but the subjects were general and though their manners every time they spoke were perfectly polite they were not marked with the smallest degree of familiarity to describe his behavior exactly it was the same as his letter polite friendly composed and resolved some of the company stayed supper which prevented the embarrassment that must unavoidably have arisen had the family been by themselves the next morning each breakfasted in his separate apartments more company dined with them in the evening and at supper lord elmwood was from home thus all passed on as peaceably as he had requested and miss milner had not betrayed one particle of frailty when the third day at dinner some gentlemen of his acquaintance being at table one of them said and so my lord you absolutely set off on tuesday morning this was friday sandford and he both replied at the same time yes and sandford but not lord elmwood looked at miss milner when he spoke her knife and fork gave a sudden spring in her hand but no other emotion witnessed what she felt ay elmwood cried another gentleman at the table you'll bring home i am afraid a foreign wife and that i shan't forgive it is his errand abroad i make no doubt said another visitor before he could return an answer sandford cried and what objection to a foreigner for a wife do not crowned heads all marry foreigners and who happier in the married state than some kings lord elma directed his eyes to the side of the table opposite to that where miss milner sat nay answered one of the guests who was a country gentleman what do you say ladies do you think my lord ought to go out of his own nation for a wife and he looked at miss milner for the reply miss woodley uneasy at her friends being thus forced to give an opinion upon so delicate a subject endeavored to satisfy the gentleman by answering to the question herself whoever my lord elmwood marries sir said miss woodley he no doubt will be happy but what say you madam asked the visitor still keeping his eyes on miss milner that whoever lord elmwood marries he deserves to be happy returned she with the utmost command of her voice and looks for miss woodley by replying first had given her time to collect herself the color flew to lord elmwood's face as she delivered this short sentence and miss woodley persuaded herself she saw a tear start in his eye miss milner did not look that way in an instant he found means to change the subject but that of his journey still employed the conversation and what horses servants and carriages he took with him was minutely asked and so accurately answered either by himself or by mr sandford that miss milner although she had known her doom before till now had received no circumstantial account of it and as circumstances increase or diminish all we feel the hearing these things told 
increased the bitterness of their truth. Soon after dinner the ladies retired, and from that time, though Miss Milner's behavior continued the same, yet her looks and her voice were totally altered. For the world she could not have looked cheerfully. For the world she could not have spoken with a sprightly accent. She frequently began in one, but not three words could she utter, before her tones sunk into dejection. Not only her color, but her features became changed. Her eyes lost their brilliancy. Her lips seemed to hang without the power of motion. Her head drooped, and her dress was neglected. Conscious of this appearance, and conscious of the cause from whence it arose, it was her desire to hide herself from the only object she could have wished to have charmed. Accordingly, she sat alone, or with Miss Woodley, in her own apartment, as much as was consistent with that civility which her guardian had requested, and which forbade her totally absenting herself. Miss Woodley felt so acutely the torments of her friend, that had not her reason told her that the inflexible mind of Lord Elmwood was fixed beyond her power to shake, she had cast herself at his feet, and implored the return of his affection and tenderness, as the only means to save his once beloved ward from an untimely death. But her understanding, her knowledge of his firm and immovable temper, and of all his provocations, her knowledge of his word, long since given to Sanford, that if once resolved, he would not recall his resolution. The certainty of the various plans arranged for his travels, all convinced her that by any interference, she would only expose Miss Milner's love and delicacy to a contemptuous rejection. If the conversation did not every day turn upon the subject of Lord Elmwood's departure, a conversation he evidently avoided himself, yet every day some new preparation for his journey struck either the ear or the eye of Miss Milner, and had she beheld a frightful spectre, she could not have shuddered with more horror than when she unexpectedly passed his large trunks in the hall, nailed and corded, ready to be sent off to meet him at Venice. At the sight she flew from the company that chanced to be with her, and stole to the first lonely corner of the house to conceal her tears. She reclined her head upon her hands, and bedewed them with the sudden anguish that had overcome her. She heard a footstep advancing towards the spot where she hoped to have been concealed. She lifted up her eyes and saw Lord Elmwood. Pride was the first emotion his presence inspired, pride which arose from the humility into which she was plunged. She looked at him earnestly, as if to imply, What now, my lord? He only answered with a bow, which expressed, I beg your pardon, and immediately withdrew. Thus each understood each other's language, without either having uttered a word. The just construction she put upon his looks, and behavior upon his occasion, kept up her spirits for some little time, and she blessed heaven repeatedly, for the singular favor of showing to her clearly, by this accident, his negligence of her sorrows, his total indifference. The next day was the eve of that on which he was to depart, of the day on which she was to bid adieu to Doriforth, her guardian, to Lord Elmwood, to all her hopes at once. The moment she awoke on Monday morning, the recollection that this was perhaps the last day she was ever again to see him, softened all the resentment his yesterday's conduct had raised, forgetting his austerity, and all she had once termed cruelties, she now only remembered his friendship, his tenderness, and his love. 
she was impatient to see him and promised herself for this last day to neglect no one opportunity of being with him for that purpose she did not breakfast in her own room as she had done for several mornings before but went into the breakfast-room where all the family in general met she was rejoined on hearing his voice as she opened the door yet the sound made her tremble so much that she could scarcely totter to the table miss woodley looked at her as she entered and was never so shocked at seeing her for never had she yet seen her look so ill as she approached she made an inclination of her head to miss horton then to her guardian as was her custom when she first saw them in a morning he looked at her face as he bowed in return then fixed his eyes upon the fireplace rubbed his forehead and began talking with mr sandford sandford during breakfast by accident cast a glance upon miss milner his attention was caught by her deadly countenance and he looked earnestly he then turned to lord elmwood to see if he was observing her appearance he was not and so much were her thoughts engaged on him alone that she did not once perceive sandford gazing at her mrs horton after a little while observed it was a beautiful morning lord elmwood said he thought he heard it rain in the night sandford cried for his part he slept too well to know and then unasked held a plate with biscuits to miss milner it was the first civility he had ever in his life offered her she smiled at the whimsicality of the circumstance but she took one in return for his attention he looked grave beyond his usual gravity and yet not with his unusual ill-temper she did not eat what she had so politely taken but laid it down soon after lord elmwood was the first who rose from breakfast and he did not return to dinner at dinner mrs horton said she hoped he would however favor them with his company at supper to which sandford replied no doubt for you will hardly any of you see him in the morning as we shall be off by six or soon after sandford was not going abroad with lord elmwood but was to go with him as far as dover these words of his not see lord elmwood in the morning never again to see him after this evening were like the knell of death to miss milner she felt the symptoms of fainting and eagerly snatched a glass of water which the servant was holding to sandford who had called for it and drank it off as she returned the glass to the servant she began to apologize to mr sandford for her seeming rudeness but before she could utter what she intended he said good-naturedly never mind you are very welcome i am glad you took it she looked at him to observe whether he had really spoken kindly or ironically but before his countenance could satisfy her her thoughts were called away from that trivial matter and again fixed upon lord elmwood the moment seemed tedious till he came home to supper and yet when she reflected how short the remainder of the evening would be after that time she wished to defer the hour of his return for months at ten o'clock he arrived and at half after ten the family without any visitor met at supper miss milner had considered that the period for her to counterfeit appearances was diminished now to a most contracted one and she rigorously enjoined herself not to shrink from the little which remained the certain end that would be so soon put to this painful deception encouraged her to struggle through it with redoubled zeal and this was but necessary as her weakness increased she therefore listened she talked and even smiled with the rest of the company nor did their vivacity seem to arise from a much less compulsive source than her own it was past twelve when lord elmwood looked at his watch and rising from his chair went up to mrs horton and taking her hand said 
Till I see you again, madam, I sincerely wish you every happiness. Miss Milner fixed her eyes upon the table before her. My lord, replied Mrs. Horton, I sincerely wish you health and happiness likewise. He then went to Miss Woodley, and taking her hand, repeated much the same as he had said to Mrs. Horton. Miss Milner now trembled beyond all power of concealment. My lord, replied Miss Woodley, a good deal affected, I sincerely hope my prayers for your happiness may be heard. She and Mrs. Horton were both standing as well as Lord Elmwood, but Miss Milner kept her seat, till his eye was turned upon her, and he moved slowly towards her. She then rose, every one who was present, attentive to what he would now say, and how she would receive what he said, here cast their eyes upon them, and listened with impatience. They were all disappointed. He did not utter a syllable, yet he took her hand, and held it closely between his. He then bowed most respectfully, and left her. No, I wish you well, I wish you health and happiness, no prayers for blessings on her, not even the word farewell escaped his lips. Perhaps to have attempted any of these might have choked his utterance. She had behaved with fortitude the whole evening, and she continued to do so till the moment he turned away from her. Her eyes were then overflowed with tears, and in the agony of her mind, not knowing what she did, she laid her cold hand upon the person next to her. It happened to be Sandford, but not observing it was he. She grasped his hand with violence, yet he did not snatch it away, nor look at her with his wonted severity, and thus she stood silent and motionless, while Lord Elmwood, now at the door, bowed once more to all the company, and retired. Sanford had still Miss Milner's hand fixed upon his, and when the door was shut after Lord Elmwood, he turned his head to look in her face, and turned it with some marks of apprehension for the grief he might find there. She strove to overcome that grief, and after a heavy sigh sat down, as if resigned to the fate to which she was decreed. Instead of following Lord Elmwood, as usual, Sanford poured out a glass of wine and drank it. A general silence ensued for near three minutes. At last, turning himself round on his seat, towards Miss Milner, who sat like a statue of despair at his side, "'Will you breakfast with us to-morrow?' said he. She made no answer. "'We shan't breakfast before half after six, continued he. "'I dare say. And if you can rise so early, why do?' "'Miss Milner,' said Miss Woodley, for she caught eagerly at the hope of her passing this night in less unhappiness than she had foreboded. "'Pray rise at that hour to breakfast.' Mr. Sanford would not invite you if he thought it would displease Lord Elmwood. Not I, replied Sanford, churlishly. Then desire her maid to call her, said Mrs. Horton to Miss Woodley. Nay, she will be awake, I have no doubt, returned her niece. No, replied Miss Milner, since Lord Elmwood has thought proper to take his leave of me without even speaking a word. By my own design, never will I see him again. And her tears burst forth, as if her heart burst at the same time. "'Why did not you speak to him?' cried Sanford. "'Pray, did you bid him farewell? "'And I don't see why one is not as much to be blamed "'in that respect as the other.' "'I was too weak to say I wished him happy,' cried Miss Milner. "'But heaven is my witness. "'I do wish him so from my soul.' "'And do you imagine he does not wish you so?' cried Sanford. "'You should not judge him by your own heart, "'and what you feel for him. "'Imagine he feels for you, my dear, "'though my dear is a trivial phrase, "'yet from certain people,' and upon certain occasions it is a phrase of infinite comfort and assurance. Mr. Sanford seldom said my dear to any one, to Miss Milner never, and upon this occasion, and from him, it was an expression most precious. She turned to him with a look of gratitude, 
but as she only looked and did not speak he rose up and soon after said with a friendly tone he had seldom used in her presence i sincerely wish you a good night as soon as he was gone miss milner exclaimed however my fate may have been precipitated by the unkindness of mr sandford yet for that particle of concern which he has shown for me this night i will always be grateful to him ay cried mrs horton good mr sandford may show his kindness now without any danger from its consequences now lord elmwood is going away for ever and he is not afraid of your seeing him once again and she thought she praised him by this suggestion End of chapter eleven of volume two recording by pam moscato